to Modern Figures Podcast, hosted by Dr. Jeremy Waysom and Dr. Kyla McMullen, where we are elevating the voices of Black women in computing to inspire the next generation of the advanced technology workforce. This podcast exists to highlight the stories of Black women in computing, to inspire high schoolers and the young at heart, and to dispel the myths and preconceptions about Black women in computing. This podcast wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. This season is generously supported by NCWIT and CRAWP. The National Center for Women and Information Technology, or NCWIT, is a nonprofit community that convenes, equips, and unites change leader organizations to increase the influential and meaningful participation of girls and women in technology. And the Computing Research Association's Committee on Widening Participation in Computing, or CRAWP, endeavors to increase the success and participation of underrepresented groups in computing research and education at all levels. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited that we have round two of our interview with Dr. Christina Gardner-McCune. If you weren't here with us last episode, um, Dr. Gardner-McCune is a associate professor at the University of Florida in the Department of Computer and Information Sciences and Engineering. And we got to hear a lot about her background growing up and what that was like and some of her origin story in graduate school. But now we'll hear a little bit more about that process and what it was like for her as a postdoc and even more. So let's jump back into this. I remember, right, I think it maybe as a year before, I maybe a year, maybe two years before I graduated because I thought I was going to graduate sooner. You know how that goes. Um, and so oh, I yes. applied um, for a postdoc fellowship uh, through the FACES program. So throughout graduate school, I was a part of this program called FACES, which is very similar to the program, uh, Jeremy and Kyla, that we run for under, oh, for graduate students. Um, mm -hmm. But this was, off, this, it was uh, created by Dr. Gary May, um, who was then oh, um, Dean- Chancellor May. Yeah, now he's mm -hmm. Chancellor, right? At UC Davis, is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so he started that program. And so it was a lot of mentorship through that program. And I really appreciated it because it really gave you all the things that you needed beyond just the academics, but just understanding the world of academia. Mm -hmm. So I applied for um, a postdoc fellowship through the FACES program. And um, basically what it was doing, it would give you, I think it was maybe like $60,000 for two years mm -hmm. to play oh, for a nice. postdoc. And so I had at that point, I, I, my committee members were, my committee was already set and I was working with um, Dr. Randy, um, Dr. Randy Engel at uh, UC Berkeley um, at the time. And she was part of my dissertation committee. And I really loved the work that she was doing. And I felt like this was going to help me get to that next level of research edge. Um, and so the whole plan was we did this application together. I was going to go there once I finished my PhD. Well, Fast forward the two years it took me to finish up from getting that fellowship. Um, <laughs> yeah, she um, she ended up coming down with colon cancer. Um, oh, no. That's not right. Pancreas can pancreatic cancer, um, which she did. She caught really late, so it was that kind of uh. end kind of came really really quickly. Um, and so mm. she, I didn't end up going out there to California. Instead, I stayed at Georgia Tech um, because as I was finishing up, I had started doing some work for the College of Computing under their um, Office of Outreach um, and Community. 
Um, and I was doing, I was working with under uh, Charles Isbell and Cedric Stallworth. And Cedric had been an ally throughout my graduate program. He was then a associate dean of um, outreach community, and uh, there was mm-hmm. outreach enrollment in community. Um, and so, I he took me under his wing and said, "Hey, Charles said, hey, I have this grant where we're supposed to create this computational thinking Olympiad. That's your project." Mm-hmm. And I was wow. like, "Okay." <laughs> And so like with everything, I just throw my whole self into it. And so I had started working on that project in addition to working on an after school, no, a summer camp program. Uh, Basically, it was supposed to be like a summer camp research program for students to get them interested in engineering and mostly interested in computer science and research in, in computer science. And so I set up this program and I remember I was finishing up the last edits on my dissertation. and wow. <laughs> And I was like, my committee was like, going to kill me if I did not finish these edits. But I was like, I've been kind of sitting and squatting in space here. You know, I need to do something to pay back these people for it being so good for me. So I started working on that. Um, And so that launched a program that ended up being called um, the I3 program. Uh, Imagine, investigate, and innovate. And so it ended up becoming a year-long program. Um, I think the first one was six weeks, and then the next one was a couple months, and the Innovate ended up being much longer, like a whole semester. Um, But basically, we worked with students um, in Atlanta public school districts uh, that didn't have computer science at their schools, most likely, and it gave them exposure to computer science. And so um, we did that and worked on that for about a year and a half. Um, And I think about a year into it, I got a call from uh, Dr. Juan Gilbert, um, who I had met. Um, I had met him at one of the, uh, he does a lot of mentoring programs. So I met him through one of his mentoring programs and I'd gone to it. And I feel like it was at like Spelman at the time was where it was yeah. hosted. And so I, I remember going to that and meeting some folks and then um, out of the blue, I didn't even know he had my cell phone number. He called me. Did <laughs> you put it on the application? Probably, mm-hmm. probably. That's how we get you. Your mistake. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> yeah, he was starting up the Human Centered Computing PhD program at Clemson at the time. And so he invited me to come for a visit to interview. And so I... Honestly, didn't think I was going to do a faculty position when I finished. I am a certified science museum geek because <laughs> there's a certification <laughs> in that, just so you know. Oh, um, I thought you were joking. I am joking. She is. <laughs> what? Kyla. What? I mean, it could be, look, you can be no. anything you want. If no, Disney ma'am. can make Imagineers, anybody can make any title <laughs> that they want ironically my mom wanted me to be an Imagineer she kept trying to figure out how I could become a Disney Imagineer but I never was able to achieve that goal of hers (laughs) but um yeah so I remember going I, I remember wanting to be like going to work for like uh, the New York Hall of Science and like doing mm-hmm. museum exhibits and outreach programs. And that's what I was going to do with a PhD because I really didn't know. I mean, I knew what a PhD was for, but I didn't know if I was cut out to be a tenure track faculty member. Um, mm. And so that wasn't part of what I thought was an option for me. And then I did this interview and then they gave me an offer and I was like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you want me to do this for real? Okay. <laughs> Um, and I think it was at the same time that I got the offer. I remember Cedric, who was my then boss at the time, he said, yeah, so you're going to go on this interview. And when you get, he said, when he's like, when you get this job, uh, you're fired. And I thought he was joking. 
like, <laughs> but literally, like, I got the offer, and I feel like two days later, I was getting ready to go do a talk um, at a teacher professional development down in Alabama for Jeff Gray. Um, I was going to do a talk for their teachers, and I remember being getting in the car, and he goes, "Yeah, I just want to talk to you real quick." So I called him, you know, on my way out, and he's like, "Yeah, so effective today, you are fired from this job." Right. <laughs> but let me let me let me let me let me kind of put a little padding around this and give a little context. <laughs> Basically, he said, I want you to spend because that was June. He was like, I want you to spend the next six months. And I had delayed my start date for Clemson until January because I was trying to finish up some work that I was doing during the postdoc. Basically, the next six months was spent writing grants, uh, publishing papers and really trying to ground me for the faculty position. Um, and so that, that ended up really helping. Cause I think I ended up getting two internal grants from Clemson, um, which really kicked off some, some collaborations that ended up being, you know, really valuable for me while I was at Clemson. And I was able for the next year and a half at being at Clemson, uh, be able to leverage those opportunities. And basically I called myself the researcher in the wild, uh, cause I was <laughs> never in my office. I was all, I was in every school district in Greenville, Pickens and Anderson County, uh, that was in the proximity of Clemson university doing work, um, integrating in computer science and computational thinking into science classes, into math classes, doing summer camps, teaching robotic summer camps and game design summer camps and things like that. And I had all the camps. <laughs> all the camps. And all the laptops. <laughs> I did have all the laptops. Yes, 9,000 laptops. <laughs> this is so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, uh, that's like super rare too, to have the opportunity to really like invest in your career like ahead of actually having your career like who does that like that's such an awesome gift yes yeah. indeed that's why i said it's about mentorship and community and resources like how did i get yeah. here because that set me up if i had to spend that first six months at clemson i don't think i would have had the trajectory that i have now without yeah. that because that kicked actually oh i forgot about that so you mentioned the computer science principles thing um mm -hmm. i remember wanting to get more teaching experience i had done a lot of taing but i'd never been like the you know lead main teacher mm -hmm, lead yeah. teaching person and so i was like oh i want to i want to lead a class and so at the time georgia tech was in contract with well through like an nsf grant um in contract to lead one of the new pilots of the computer science uh principles course which would be a new mm. college board ap course advanced placement course and so i they needed somebody to teach it the person that was supposed to teach it was going out on maternity leave i was like me 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 so i taught this course and fell in love with the approach and how it was really trying to broaden participation in computing through an AP course, like that's unheard of. Like usually yeah. AP courses are these elite courses that are weeding people out. You know, it's not very inclusive, not because their program isn't like that, but just because they're, they're treated as the creme de la creme of high school yes. classes. And so you have to kind of work your way through the cycle before someone believes enough in you to enroll you in one of those classes, right? It's true. Yeah. And true. so this course was gonna take a very, very different tenor than AP Computer Science A, which is what I took during high school. Um, and it was really about really fostering interest in computing and all the ways that it impacts all the areas of our lives in different um, mm -hmm. uh, economy sectors. So I was really excited about being a part of that. And so from that, being part of one of the, the pilot teachers for that, 
that ended up somehow spinning me into uh, much later. Like, like I taught the course, it was over, moved on. Um, but I'm at Clemson maybe a year and a half after that. And they're looking for people to serve on the computer science um, principles development committee, the inaugural committee that's going to come up with the questions that are on the test, come up with resources for the teachers that will be teaching it. And um, I, I think they must have called Juan and Juan was like, ah, I think you want Christina. Her research is in computer <laughs> science education. I think you want Christina. Um, and I was like, oh, I'd love to do it. I was already a part of that project. I already know what's going right. on there. And so that kind of launched me into a very different space within the computer science education um, community, because actually my PhD was focused on learning sciences and technology. Mm -hmm. um, and so really it was more STEM stuff. I was doing more STEM and technology and in computing, but not necessarily like teaching the science of computer science, you know, mm -hmm. or advancing mm -hmm. the science of computer science. And so because of my postdoc doing these things with computational thinking and running these summer camps and these and creating these after school interventions to really increase participation of students in computer science. I then it, it dovetailed really well with the goals of computer science principles for broadening participation in computing. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I did that for about, I think I was on the board for about two years. Um, we, I think I, I rolled off because we had like kind of terms where you kind of, you know, gradually rolled off. So I rolled off because at that point I had just come to Florida and the work responsibilities had become a lot more. And so I was like, I need to kind of scale back, scale back some of my um, service responsibilities. So I kind of rolled off at that, that point um, right before, I think we had run, I feel like we had run the the first courses in the classrooms and got back the test data. And so I was part of evaluating and scoring those test data to make sure we had thought about the questions in the right way and we were asking the right things. And so it was a really amazing experience. It helped me meet a lot of people in computer science education. Um, like I said, because that wasn't my primary field. I was in the learning sciences, so I was in totally different conferences. And so that really helped me kind of begin to establish a network within the CS Ed community. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, I remember, so cool. she had to travel like all the time. <laughs> yeah, Christina was, was on never somebody's plane on campus. No, I'm just with the CS principal stuff. Like it was always, oh yeah. yeah, we got this meeting, we got that meeting, we got this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't. No, I'm saying like when she came to Florida, yes. I never <laughs> saw Christina. Like, is Christina in her office? No, she is on somebody's plane. Where is she? Oh, uh, we don't know. She'll be back. Yeah, it's right. fine. Yeah. <laughs> Send her an email. But then she she was like Kyla at that point. And <laughs> I had to find her in the hallway. Yes. In person, great. Mm -hmm. Asynchronously, yeah, not so much. Yeah, that, that's definitely my tale, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, so where what are you doing now? Like, wh what are you and your students up to? What's what's going on? Yeah, so we're doing some really fun work. I named my lab the Engaging Learning Lab because I really, for me, my passion is that everybody get excited about learning, right? And it doesn't have to be about the same thing. You can be excited about anything. I just want you to be excited because I think that excitement drives your motivation. It drives your persistence. And so that's really the foundation of the work that we do in the curriculum development that we do, the assessments we do, the like learning experience we create is that students are get really excited. And so that those students could be anywhere. They could be K through 12 students. They could be undergraduates. They could be professors. <laughs> they could be, they can be um, teachers, um, K through 12 teachers. And so, um, 
several projects that are going on in my lab right now. One of my PhD students, and actually my lab has transformed over time. So I have a number of um, PhD students who are both lecturers in the department or, uh, or a sister department at, at UF and also um, you know, PhD students. And really what happened was they were looking at their classes and thinking, there's such interesting learning here. I'm really interested in understanding more about it and how to support my students. Because you could see that there's kind of these, um, I would call them like maybe bands of students. There are those students that, you know, like I call them like maybe the top 20, 20% of your students, they come in and even if you're horrible, they're going to, they're going to do great. They're going to excel. They're going to mm-hmm. be right. And then there's like uh, a middle 40, um, who really need you as a professor to bring it, to make it engaging, to like really help scaffold the learning so that way they can blossom and bring to bear the skills that they have. Um, and then there's a third band, which we won't talk about right now because there's way more <laughs> resources that that are needed to, to support those students. Um, but, but essentially, I was making the same observation at the same time, some of these lecturers and all, and at at the time, certain PhD students had noticed and really trying to figure out how do we fill the gap. Um, And Mm -hmm. so we ended up launching a program that was really looking at computer science identity um, and really Mm -hmm. trying to understand, like, what is it that we need to be doing in computer science programs to help develop students' identity as professionals in computer science? Because there's a I was teaching software engineering. And um, that's basically a junior senior class, depending on what program you're in, you're either taking in your junior or senior year. Um, and I would say half of my students, no matter if you're a junior or senior, half of my students had never done an internship. And in anybody wow. knows computer science, if you don't do an internship, you're not getting a that's full-time it. job, right? Like it's yeah, really, wow. really challenging. And so I crafted the software engineering class around um, helping students get the type of project-based experience, working on a real project with real clients so that they could say like, this is basically like an internship. Here's the things I contributed to the team. Here's mm-hmm. my code um, to really level the playing field for those that weren't able to get internships. And so, for, and I used to collect these like survey data from the students to really understand demographics, you know, who they are, how to create teams um, for them so that I had really well working teams. And from that yep. data, we realized there's a gap between students' confidence and what they're able to do. Um, mm. and, and if they don't feel confident in their skills, they're not applying for those internships. They're not applying for those jobs. Mm. And there's also, so, so you get these graduates that are, and we have amazing students, so I'm not talking down about our program. We have amazing students, but I feel like we have to do more to support them, um, in understanding what's going to be expected of them in industry. Um, yeah. And so that launched my computer science education, not computer science professional identity program project. Um, and so we interviewed students, we did focus groups, we did, um, we, we, um, did observations, observations. observations of them in their clubs. Cause we realized for some students clubs was the way that they were leveling up. It was, they would mm. do your class projects, but they, these extra skills that they needed, they were getting from these projects that they were working on in. Um, and not from their uh, curriculum. Interesting. That's interesting. Well, it's like you needed both. You needed the curriculum stuff, but you needed to show you were doing things outside of the curriculum. So there's some uniqueness, I think, around computer science as an industry and computing as an industry. Then mm-hmm. I felt like engineering. Engineering, it was like, they looked at your curriculum. You did like, I felt like we did more of um, these behavioral interviews. Like, would you be a good person? Like, you know, do you, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, it was a, do you know harm yeah, type of thing? Right. Kind of interview than these, let's sit here and let's solve on the whiteboard these 
problems yeah. and can you demonstrate your knowledge in this moment right and so right. i think that that in this moment part like if we're not preparing students they're going to they're going to have challenges and so that right. spawned that that set of research and we've gotten a number of publications for that and i really need to thank um my phd student and colleague aman kapoor um amanpreet is his name is really actually amanpreet but he's amazing he has really helped lead that project and since then he's actually used that to restructure the, our data structures um, class so that way students are getting more practice on these practice problems that they would need to do mm -hmm. to solve the coding interviews, the tech interviews. That's amazing. And so it's really helped, you know, now they're getting that in their sophomore year. They have sophomore engineering in their junior year. So there's continuity um, in these programs. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, so I used to I used to joke that at some point I had a PhD student that was teaching something like intro programming, data structures. I was teaching software engineering, and then we had people teaching these upper division classes. We across our lab touched every student in our department, um, yeah. and really thinking about how do we make this the best learning experience for students. Um, and so we were innovating in intro computing um, with uh, Dr. Jeremy Jeremiah Blanchard's research and really understanding how do we transition students from blocks to text environments because our intro students have a lot of variability. So there's some that have never yeah. programmed. There's some that have programmed in block-based environments, some that have done a little bit of text, some that are self-taught, some that have taken APCS. So you see the spectrum here. Yeah. Um, and so we worked really hard to really figure out how do we transition students who didn't come in with um, a lot of experience um, to learn how to program. So that was his dissertation research um, is really looking at how do we create these hybrid uh, instructional approaches as well as programming environments. Um, yeah, and then now my new current uh, PhD student, she's not new anymore. She's been around for a couple of years, um, <laughs> Cheryl Resch. Um, she's working on some fun things um, with looking at how students reflect on their, their, their problem solving. Um, so she was teaching data structures and, and um, uh, computing organization. Um, no, comp work. Mm. Yeah, 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 comp computing organization. And so what she noticed was there was a gap between what students should know coming into a class and what they're able to demonstrate. Um, and so what we really started working on there was helping students be intentional about reflecting on their problem solving, understanding gaps in their problem solving, um, so that they're a better able to recognize, I have a gap here, I need to, you know, re reinforce, yeah, reinforce or... right? Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's where her work is. But now she's kind of shifted into more um, cybersecurity, because that's her background. She was working mm, in right. cybersecurity prior to becoming um, a lecturer on in our department. And so she's gone back to that. And so now we're looking at how do we integrate cybersecurity across um, our, our computing curriculum. So there's modules in um, intro programming, there's modules in your sophomore year, your junior year, your senior year, definitely in software engineering. Um, so you see these modules for um, cybersecurity. So I'm really excited about that. Pretty cool. Yeah. So what has been taking most of my time, honestly, is a new project that's not so new now. It's three and a half years old is um, our uh, AI for K-12 artificial. Oh, good. You transitioned for us. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. Artificial intelligence for K-12 um, initiative. And so this is in partnership with uh, AAAI, which is a leading um, research conference and 
community for artificial intelligence research and computer science teachers association which is the leading practitioner based organization for uh, teacher professional development and teacher support around computer science and so it's a joint initiative through them um, but i'm collaborating with um, my colleague dr david Turetsky at carnegie mellon university um, and we had two other steering committee members who have now kind of moved on but um uh, dr um Fred Martin at University of Massachusetts Lowell and um, Deborah Seahorn, who uh, we treasure. <laughs> uh, but she was um, the standards writer for the computer science standards uh, for the CSTA. And so we, we've been working for the past three and a half years around writing guidelines. We call them guidelines. So it's guidance for how do you teach AI to K-12 students and how do you support teachers? Um, and it's focused on the five big ideas in AI, um, which has been mm -hmm. uh, phenomenal um, in its progress of kind of disseminating, not just nationally, but globally, people are adopting the five big ideas and how they're thinking about how do you teach and frame computer science, uh, AI, excuse me, to K-12 students. And so it's my understanding that like some of this work is also being funded by the National Science Foundation, right? Is that true? I should definitely give credit where credit is due. Yes. So <laughs> there's many people to acknowledge in this journey. Um, so the National Science Foundation um, is our funder for the AI for K-12 initiative. Um, mm -hmm. And they have been funding us for about almost, like I said, almost three and a half years now. Mm -hmm. um, and so they actually funded an, another uh, spinoff to this, which is now that we have the guidelines, you know, how do we support states in implementing the guidelines so that they're taught mm -hmm. in all K-12 schools? And so last January, um, we ran a state of K-12 AI education in your state workshop where we convened uh, people from 27 states and two U.S. territories. Um, and we've been meeting quarterly with them since the workshop. And we have 16 that have continued to advance what AI looks like in their state for K-12 students. So it's been, incredible. it's been exciting. It's been that a great really journey. Exciting. <laughs> like you literally have your hand in how people are learning, you know, AI all across these schools. Like just even um, just looking at like you and Dave have this paper on like, you know, what do kids need to know about AI? And I took a look at it and I was like, you know what? This is what everybody needs to know about <laughs> AI who does not know what AI is because, you know, there's um, lots of leadership at our university that want to bring AI into every facet of the curriculum. And I'm like, I think they need this paper. <laughs> I need, I need it. Can you send it to me? I, yes. I actually really need it. And it has a jillion citations. Yeah. So this is something that, you know, is the mm -hmm. national like model. This is what people are looking for when they're like, hey, AI, we need it. What do we need to know? So, um, also, I can link it in the show notes. So if you're listening, I think that's a great website, idea. I will link the paper. It is awesome. I I highly, highly, highly recommend it for anyone who's not familiar with AI but wants to know, like, what do I need to know? <laughs> well, and and with that, Christina, is there something that you really feel like people should know, like something small that is tangible for people? Well, uh, our five big ideas really try to capture the field of AI in a way that educators and K-12 students would understand. So if you ask like a AI researcher, they might divide the world in a different way. But what we started right. off was thinking about how do students experience AI in their everyday life? They experience mm. it first through computer vision, face recognition, um, you know, auto unlock, right? Like, you know, fingerprint scanning, right? Like they experience AI from a very... Um, Perce perception uh, focus. So our first big idea is on perceptions, how computers see the world. 
Um, mm-hmm. Our second one um, is um, representation and reasoning. So this is really about how does the computer actually, you know, process and figure out, you know, how to solve problems. So that's kind of like your more traditional data structures and algorithms course if you're thinking about computer science. Um, our third big idea is the big boy in the room, machine learning. <laughs> and so it's kind of how do computers learn um, and, and process and build these models. Um, our fourth big idea is on um, society, no, excuse me, um, natural interactions. So mm-hmm. looking at how do people naturally interact with AI um, and how will they interact with AI in the future? Um, and so this, you know, this can be anything from human to robot interactions to, um, uh, yeah, there's so much, <laughs> like big mm-hmm. idea for is so big, um, but like uh, spoken language dialogue systems, that kind of thing. Like that's all of that speech recognition, all of that kind of goes within big idea for um, emotion recognition, effective computing, all of that kind of gets in there. Then the big, the fifth one, and if you, um, and maybe you can link that, um, is our big idea wheel. So the, it, at the very center of it is um, societal impacts. And really, we mm. put it in the center because we wanted everybody to know that it's not just a fifth thing in this wheel. It is the center and the core that keeps all of this together. So that way we're thinking about how do we build AI technologies that benefit people, that advance our economy, um, and that we're also thinking not just about the beneficial effects of AI, but also the harmful effects. And so that we can be actively mitigating those as we move forward. So I think that's the big thing um, that I feel like, and I, I echo you, Kyla, like I want want everybody to know this like my goal is like we can let everybody like everybody has an idea of where is AI in my life I can point to it I can explain what it's doing and I'm able to understand like the policy implications of this so when I'm voting um I can be inferring you know informing my my legislatures like hey we need to be regulating this or we need to be doing something Mm -hmm. about this Mm -hmm. and this is how I feel not that this stuff is happening and then all of a sudden we look up and you know, we have very little control of what AI is doing. Um, Amen. And that, that makes me think about like your comment about how you wanted to be a lawyer. Right? <laughs> it all and comes back. Like <laughs> you've got this. Well, you've got this arm of what you're doing that's totally in policy. Like, yeah, and it, that's like probably the most significant piece of this. Like, without the support from state local national level politicians this stuff doesn't enter the classroom yeah right because it needs funding it needs funding and it needs to be something that um states feel is important i think florida really thinks that this is important um i think the UF's AI initiative um, and also the work that the Herbert Wertheim College of Engineering is doing across the state to work with uh, community colleges, state colleges, K through 12 to and, you know, undergrad and also the post, right? Like after you're out of, mm-hmm. you know, school, like mm-hmm. what is the continuing yeah. education really looking at it K to gray, um, I think is a really innovative approach because we need to be thinking about how do we keep skill upskill people, but also reskill them as you know, right now the things, we, I mean, all of us know, right? The skills that we yeah. have today were not the skills we got trained in our P- your masters or even our PhDs for, right? We had yeah, to learn, not at all. learning, continuously <laughs> learning new skills and helping people recognize that there's some AI skills that they can learn to help them solve problems in whatever industry that they're in. And companies want that. Yes. Yeah. Like companies, not just engineering companies, 
or computer science companies. Like people need it in all different aspects of society because it's it's everywhere. Like yeah. I don't think people realize how disruptive AI is. Oh yes, yeah. I, they don't know. I think they understand the beneficial parts of AI being disruptive, right? Like so. I cannot imagine what my life used to be before Uber and Lyft. Like, can you remember yeah. how we got from the airport? Like, there was this, no idea. There was a lot no of idea. planning. A line of, of, right. of vehicles. A line of taxis. Like, hopefully, they knew where they were or taking the you. Super yeah. Shuttle. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Oh, know? my gosh. And so now it's like, I mean, we're at a place where all the things that we need to do are at the touch of a finger, you know, in the distance of our fingers to the phone to, to push on right. something to say, Hey, I need to call an Uber. I need to rent a car. They don't, I need to people do don't know that Christina, like people <laughs> don't know that people don't realize that Google telling me this is the fastest route for me to get home is it, yeah. has nothing to yeah. do with like, Oh, somebody just is in the internet deciding me to take me. The- no, yeah. that's not it. Yes. Like <laughs> that's exactly it. And so I, my goal with the AI for K-12 initiative and really our goal with the AI for K-12 initiative is to make sure that students understand that AI isn't magic. Like, and mm. it's understandable, right? Like a lot of times when we start talking mm. about machine learning, people go, oh, you can't understand those neural networks. Like, and they get all like, <laughs> right? It's literally hidden layers or it's like hidden layers yeah. in the neural mm-hmm. network. But, they, you know, but the point is you can understand to a point where it's practical for you to make decisions. Yeah. And what I mm-hmm. want is for everybody, not just K-12 students, but everyone to be informed, responsible, ethical decision makers with AI, right? Yeah. Like we, we, we're carrying AI on our wrist and our phones, like everywhere, right? Like everywhere. when you look at how much data is being collected by all the devices, we give permission for them to track. Yeah. Um, and then you can think about what's the power of AI to do all that processing, to give that feedback, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I want students to understand that. I want, I should, I want my grandmother to understand that. Like, you know, like, I don't yeah. care how old you are, it's impacting your life. Like it's impacting, it is. you know, how, if you just, if you get a loan, actuarial algorithms are running, you know, to figure out should your health, your health mm-hmm. right? Yes. Should you get care? Should we bump you up on the list of people to right. get care? Yep. Um, Organ donor, yeah. um, algorithms, all kinds of things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it, it touches everything. And I'm really excited because I don't know if you guys remember when they first sequenced um, the DNA and how many years it took to sequence it. Yeah. And then I read an article recently and it had this cute little baby on the front of it. And basically <laughs> this baby had some very rare disease and they didn't, they sequenced her DNA in a matter of hours to find wow. out what she had and get her on the proper treatment. Without wow. that, she'd be gone, right? Like think about how many years yeah. it takes to do some of that when you don't have this technology and how expensive it is. Right. Yeah. Like the yeah. fact that our computers are getting faster and we're able to train these models and do them faster and cheaper means that we're going to continue to advance in AI. And we really need to be aware of like, what is it doing? <laughs> right. What is it doing? Be aware of what it's doing, but also be aware like of how we're implementing it so that we don't cause students to run away from it and make yeah. it seem like it's something that's incomprehensible, Absolutely. that it's, it's too hard. Like that whole narrative about like engineering is hard. Yeah. Like, no, anybody can do it. It's just how it's being presented. So I'm glad that people like you who have a background in that space 
are involved in the process because I think that matters. Yeah, I definitely think my learning science background and computer science education background, I'm leveraging those theories to help us think about how do we do this in this new space. And um, the community is definitely growing. Um, I I think Mm -hmm. it's been amazing to see how many organizations have taken up the call for AI education um, and continue to move this forward. So this isn't a you know, blip, right? You know, you always have these fads of educational yeah. fads. This isn't an educational fad. This is a, this is a, the next revolution um, in our economy, in our educational system. Um, and so I'm really excited because my last project, it's not really my last, but it's the last one I'm going to mention today <laughs> is my AI for GA prog- program. Um, so we are developing curriculum for the state of Georgia um, that's going to be culturally uh, relevant for urban, suburban, mm-hmm. and rural students, um, as well as Black and Latinx students. So we're really excited. We are working with some amazing teachers to put together some content so that way middle school students, sixth through eighth grade, learn about AI um, in a way that makes sense to them. I love it. And we will link to those. We will ask you for links after this so we can Mm -hmm. have all of those on your episode notes page. And this is amazing. This is, I I don't have words. (laughs) (laughs) I think at this point, all I'm going to say is, how do people find you, Christina? Yes. How do they find you and some of the work that you're doing? Um, if you're interested in learning more, you can go to AI4K12.org um, to learn more about AI4K12. Um, the AI4GA project is just kicking off, so that's AI4GA.org uh, as well. And um, you can follow me at Twitter. Um, uh, I think you can link it to it, but I think it's at Dr. Underscore uh, G McCune. Um, and so I try to stay on there to keep abreast of what's going on and share out what we're what we're doing. You could also follow us on Twitter for AI for K-12 too. We also, we try to link to a lot of different things that are going on in the AI um, education space. Well, thank you so, so, so much. I'm just so glad that I got to know a whole new side of you and we had a lot to talk about. I got the Christina sure. origin story. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I knew pieces, but it was like, oh, wow. This was a whole trajectory that was orchestrated in the beginning. Well, Kyla was ready. I wasn't ready for what to happen. As always, you can find us on our website, modernfigurespodcast.com. Send your questions to ask us at modernfigurespodcast.com. And follow us on Twitter. Kyla is at Dr. Underscore Kyla, and I am at Jeremy Waysom. Visit modernfiguresinc.com to learn more about our nonprofit organization aimed at promoting and engaging with women and girls interested in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and of course, computing. Until next time, stay moisturized, hydrated, mind your business, and protect your peace.